this topic of loving kindness is not a limited thing. You can talk about it every night for the rest of your life if you want, and never gets old. A lot of things don't get old. We're kind of programmed for the enjoyment of repetition, actually. When we object to that, when we complain about repetition, we put ourselves in a very awkward position since we're human. And the days come, and the nights come, and the days come, and the nights come, and the days come, and the nights come. And you eat in the morning, and you eat in the middle of the day, and unless you're in a monastery, you eat in the evening. (laughs) And you wash, and you do this, and you do that. And mostly, 99% just repetition. But nothing wrong with repetition. The bread of life. I mean, who gets tired of bread? (laughs) Uh, We have to look upon it as such a lovely opportunity, you know. The cycles day after day after day is just each one is an opportunity for practice. And uh, practice is not a bad word. It's something that we enjoy. So before I was a monk, I was a musician, and I had to practice every day. But I didn't have to practice. I enjoyed practicing every day. I looked forward to it. It was a day without practice. was a day without bread. Yeah. So we're working on a masterpiece, actually, all of us. And we have various skills. And the masterpiece is loving kindness. When we can experience it, we hear what everybody has been talking about. What all the greatest artists have been painting, what all the greatest musicians have been composing, what all the greatest sculptures have been creating, what all the greatest poems have been about. Finally, we get to experience the thing directly. Art is the after effects of this encounter with truth. And loving kindness is the truth about who you are. And it's the the losing of the boundaries of yourself. You are now embracing all beings as yourself, as not other than you, not separated from you. And when you do that, because you're in contact with truth and it's an emotional truth, then you're rewarded. The reward of truth is beauty. The universe, Mother Nature, however you want to call it, kisses you on the forehead. And you will not get kissed unless you listen. (laughs) If you are a bad child, you will not get kissed. Mother Nature is extraordinarily determined. And she doesn't care if you die. She will not kiss you unless you behave yourself. (laughs) You cannot get her to accept you no matter how much you plead no matter what the case you may make until you do what she says you must do and that is to stop this judgments and this separation of yourself from all things and to stop being harsh with yourself as well and give up all these conditions this contract that you have full of conditions that you're not going to feel friendly and well until everybody fulfills the conditions you've set down for them, including yourself. 
until they've signed on the dotted line, you refuse to be friendly. <laughs> and so you will never get them to sign on the dotted line. They will never be what you want them to be. You will never be what you want you to be. And so you just have to rip up the whole contract. And the moment you do it, you discover a moment in uh, human experience that has been famous in all human history and all art. This is the motivation behind these deep attempts to express things, is when you touch on that, it's the profound experience. And then people try to, they blabber away trying to express it, like me. It just comes out as words, but there is truly a feeling behind all this. And that feeling is the best feeling in all of the world. And I'm quoting the Buddha when I say that. This is the best feeling in all of the world. And he's very liberal with his instructions. He says, radiate it out above, below, all around, unstinted, unmixed with any other feeling, radiate it, let it flow. He's embarrassing how much he wants you to do. It's, it's not our nature. We're a little bit reserved. We're a little bit uncomfortable with that idea. And the Buddha is, it's like being in a theater troupe where you have to let go of your inhibitions and act out. <laughs> He's asking you to do this. Now, of course, you can do this in the privacy of your own room so you don't draw stares. And it's perfectly good. And you really should in a kind of a dramatic way. Also out in the woods there, go out and stretch your arms out. Be Saint Francis for a while. Be Jesus, whatever you want to be. Dramatically, abundantly, above, below, all around, unstinted, unmixed with any other ingredients. See what happens. You can experience ecstasy. It will flow up your spine. Your hair will stand on end. You will cry. Tears will come down your cheeks. And... Beautiful thoughts will come into your mind. And all is forgiven forever and ever. And so that's what he's talking about. Don't you want to do that? Would you like to do that? <laughs> I think you would. It's very powerful. It's a drug without any side effects. It's the most ecstatic and powerful of the drugs. No side effects, except for restoration of health. <laughs> The only side effect is you get healthier. You think more creatively. Your sense of humor comes back to you. You rejoin something that you've never, ever been apart from, and that is just the entire universe, the entire environment. You are this stuff. All of the ideas and about the self are mistakes, just mistakes. And uh, they're not seen through by the intellect. They're seen through by the emotional structure. It's the emotional structure that convinces you. You just told the story wrong. You just got off on the wrong track and told a bad story. It's not a very good story. It has its pathos to it. It has its melodramas to it. But at the same time, it, most stories are painful and shallow. They're not really deep and they're not very sweet or beautiful. 
So it's the ending of these shallow and painful stories. And that's all they are. Nothing ends except a story and a feeling. You know, when we talk about Nibbana, the Buddha, again and again, he just says, look, all that ends are painful feelings. That is what ends. The cessation of painful feelings. It's just stories, and that's what has to end. And it doesn't take a lot of skill, but the practice is emotional. It's it's an opening of the heart. It's a poetic expression. So it's not a, when you're meditating and everything, it's not a, a really a huge effort to control your mind. If you can talk to your mind and say, would you like to go to paradise? There's a place I know. It's sacred, secret, beautiful. You won't want to leave there ever. That will get your attention. And that's how you have to talk to yourself. It's not an iron will or a grim exercise that if you just do your penance for the next 20 years, you'll be forgiven finally (laughs) for your miserable life. (laughs) That's not that way. All that stuff just, there's no room for it if this positive, rich experience floods in. There's just no room for the other stuff. And you, I'm sure you will laugh out loud when you step into that because you will realize what a joke it's been. What a joke I've played on myself. I've really created a very serious game with all kinds of penalties and rules that I didn't need to play. And when I stop doing that and you listen to the words and you just do what it says, you'll wonder, how did I not understand that? It was simple. It's really simple. And it's just a relaxation of the whole system. All the defense structures are let go. All fears, you know, of course you cannot be in loving kindness and have contradictory things. This is this beautiful word, unstinted, unmixed with any other feeling. In other words, there's no traces of fear left. There's no trace of anxiety, of worry. It doesn't mean that you know what's going to happen to you in your life. If you need to know what's going to happen to you in your life, you'll never be fearless. Fearlessness doesn't have a plan. It doesn't know what's going to happen. It just allows things to be the way they are. They're out of control, in unpredictable, no one knows. And at the same time, there's nothing preventing you from being absolutely deliciously free, fearless, up to your neck, and intimately being home and full, full of warmth and full of the right stuff. And you will recognize it because of the quality of its beauty. It's very close to music. What, What can you say about music? Everything you say about music is not music. It's something you feel And if you're sensitive to it, and I'm sure most of you are, you know what I'm talking about. It's a magic kind of language of its own, and it says things to you that have no words to them, but that's what loving-kindness is. It's a music. It's a form of music. It doesn't have an intellectual content. But the secondary effects of it are that, that words flow and creativity flows 
and new plans flow. And without trying, you spill over into others' lives in a warm and healing kind of way. Without trying, without needing to, without a checklist of having to perform any of this stuff, it just is the side effect of it all. One thing is that you have to stop worrying about whether you're a good person or not, whether you're contributing to other people's well-being and happiness, because it interferes with the fun. It interferes with the fun and immense beauty of uh, loving-kindness. It can't be dutiful. It's not a duty. It's a beauty. It's not a dry exercise. So this is the ending of the conscientious demand to be a good citizen or whatever it is. Of course, it's not, you don't suddenly become a criminal or anything like that. You just, you can't be, can't be, because this is the source of all playful goodness in human nature. And so it's get out of jail free. It's um, so available and so easy to do. There's no real intellectual content. It helps to be talked into it. So that's what I'm trying to do is talk you into it, you know, talk you into it, talk you out of something and into something else. And that's good. You have to talk to yourself. Remember when I was saying about the meditation, you've got to talk yourself into this. Like you've got to, this is a delicious soup. You're making a soup. You're making some nice bread. You know, doing this and that. And it's the smell of fresh bread. And it's the whole thing is just so good. And somebody comes in and you want to have a cup of tea. And then there's, you know, sit on the porch and then have some of the bread and the soup. And, you know, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is the nature of the recipe. So I was giving these video talks about the sublime abidings, and I, Dantika asked me after we shot the video, and she said, what do we call it? And I said, a secret recipe. And she said, what, a sacred recipe? And I said, that's it, sacred recipe, a sacred recipe, because it's the combination of this delicious and special kind of recipe that people have but at the same time, it's sacred. It's a sacred recipe. It's, it's even better than bread, you know. So this is, uh, you know, this is, is, uh, requires your humanity. It's not, you know, we were so-called on a retreat, but actually we're a bunch of humans sharing a space just for the purpose that Perhaps we can get in touch with this most exalted of human experiences. It's exalted at the same time when you experience it, it's fully human. It's normal, human, and you recognize that your whole system is the thing that does it. You're designed for this. You don't know how it works. So you obviously don't know all the chemistry and everything. And you don't need to know how it works. It's like knowing how to jump. How do you jump? I don't know how to jump. Actually, when I was reaching over to ring the bell, I was looking at my hand and I'm thinking, how do I do this? How do I, I, I don't try to flick my hand, but it goes like that. And I think, how did I, how does, how do we do that? We're never going to know. We just do. We walk, we sit, we talk, we 
don't really know how we do it, that's what loving kindness is too. We don't know how we do it. But the whole system is designed to do that. But you get so much misdirection and denial that you can do this, that you should do that. There's a constant stream of misdirection from ordinary life, from ordinary things you read, the things you listen to, the talks, and so forth, the misdirection. And so we have to be aware of that. We shouldn't be angry at at them, because then we won't have loving kindness. (laughs) One of the similes for loving kindness in the the many explorations that the the suttas and the commentaries have, they're ingenious. People are brilliant, and they thought about it, and they they have so many ways of telling the stories. One of them is that a person who's angry at you, like that has hate towards you or anger towards you, is like seeing a leper on the street. When you see a person like oozing wounds, I mean, we don't see too many lepers these days, but I occasionally see a uh, street person who's just managed to, in a drunken stupor, fall down and crack their forehead open, and they're they're still walking around on the street, kind of in the dirty, baggy clothes and with the blood streaming down one side of the face. And uh, and what do you feel? Do you feel hostile to them? <laughs> or what do you feel? I mean, you, feel <laughs> you know how bad that must feel. When a person's in physical pain, you're not angry at them. And that's what an angry person is, is a person in physical pain. They're diseased and I always think of that, you know, you can have old enemies and stuff that's happened over years and you know, it's hard to get over and everything. But once you start seeing them as diseased, as suffering, as wounded, it's a different story. And then you see yourself as like, I'm wounded too. I am bleeding here. I just fell down and cracked my head on the sidewalk. Like, I need some what am I doing? I need to be compassionate. I don't like that. It hurts. So I, I love the story, uh, St. Francis's story. He's an interesting character. He was, uh, he's a bit of a playboy and a show-off and a bit of a warrior type. And he ended up in jail when he was 24 after a, a battle with a neighboring region. You know, he was young guy with the sword and the, the whole outfit and the like a bit of a ladies man and the whole <laughs> ego crap and everything <laughs> getting up in jail <laughs> he's from a wealthy family too so spoiled wealthy kid and then he uh, in this jail thing it just kind of sobered him up you know because they could easily just kill him but they decided to they could make some money off him so they ransomed him back to his father who had some dough. But that's the only reason. <laughs> anyway, something happened in that jail and he, he had a, a, a revelation, you know, that how you're not immortal. Maybe when you're 23 you think you are, but you're not. And you're not in control. You can be just put away like a dog, you know. And that shook him up. And then he had a spiritual conversion. It transformed him in a lot of ways. And one of the things it did, it took away a lot of his fear. And he he had a horror of lepers. He had grown up in a time 
This is the 12th century, and uh, there were lepers around, and they had to, by law, they had to have a bell so that you knew it was a leper when you were going down the road. They had to ring that bell to tell you, stay away, you know, I'm a leper. And they had these hoods because there were parts of their face were missing and their fingers were falling off and stuff. And so you think about it as a kid, you know, going by with your family and there's like this. You've seen when you're a child and even go into the downtown. I remember as a kid going into the downtown east side as a, with my mother in a car and seeing some drunks, you know, lying on the sidewalk. And it was like shocking to my consciousness, horrifying experience. I didn't know what, why is that man... What's wrong with that? Why isn't he? Why isn't he in a hospital or something like? That? He's just lying there on the street, you know. Shocking. So he had a childhood, you know, traumatized by the, these people that were expelled and missing parts of their body, and it scared the living daylights out of him. And then he has this conversion experience, and he's he hasn't really assessed everything in his prior life, how consciousness worked from that time, he still has memories that he doesn't really realize he has. So anyway, he's out, he's riding on a horse outside the city and he sees a leper on the road and he gets the old feeling of sickness, like kind of nauseated and fearful thing come up his spine. But it jars him this time. He says, what am I afraid of here? What? So he stops, and he gets off the horse, and he walks over to the leper. And he, he's feeling this kind of resistance and everything. But he, he walks to the leper, and he says, you know, I'm sorry. I had a, a moment of fear of you. And then he embraces the leper and gives him a kiss on the side of the head there. <laughs> nice Italian kiss. <laughs> and uh, this, this is what, the angry person is a leper. And we have the same thing. We're afraid, we're angry. at the, It's just a disease. <laughs> we also, even if, I'm sure if you see a leper these days, you go to India or someplace, you see a leper and you probably would be a little bit Maybe if you're in the medical stuff, you don't, you're not that way. But it's a little bit scary to see somebody, you know, with major parts missing and so forth. But this is what loving kindness does: it makes you sane again. <laughs> you you realize there's nothing to be afraid of here, <laughs> and there's nothing to be angry about. There's just people and things with parts missing that are in pain, and Occasionally you lapse into it too. Every now and then you notice that a few of your fingers are missing. <laughs> that is your experience of your own incomplete nature, your own disease, your own ailment. And why should you be angry about that or afraid of that? So the loving kindness just embraces that, you know, the little parts that are missing, the illnesses you picked up along the way. All is forgotten. You walk up. You embrace yourself. Give yourself a kiss on the side of the face. And uh, then you're free. So that's the nature of loving kindness. The fear all drops away. 
and a healthy understanding of what it is to be alive and to be a human and not just a frightened animal, you know, or a frightened human, which is basically a frightened animal. And this also applies to even death. You're no longer afraid of death either uh, because that's just the nature of things. And uh, there's no amount of worrying or planning or anything that fixes any of this stuff. Ultimately, you either abandon the fear or you don't, but you're never going to be able to plan it away. You're never going to be able to have all enough backup plans to be fearless about any of this stuff because all that plans go out the window when the vagaries of life happen. <laughs> How is it going to happen? You know, what am I going to lose first? My mind or my body or <laughs> am I going to not be able to walk or what? You know, it, the, there's no solution to this ultimately except the fearlessness that comes from loving kindness and the non-rejection of this, there's nothing to be afraid of. But this is the replacement of this, the fullness that comes from loving kindness. This is also in relationships. There's no fear of of losing a relationship. You feel self-nourished. And so relationships are just extra things that are there. And humans and animals and nature and all this stuff are beautiful and funny and curious and complex and amazing and stuff, but the fullness comes from your own experience of the development of this loving kindness and the relaxation. And you're in a lot of different relationships. You're relating to people on a momentary basis, with strangers, with people you've known all your life, with your memories of people who have gone. All of these things are just softened up and the fear is taken out of these things as well. The fear aspect of relationships, because sometimes you need them and you fear to lose them. And sometimes they're an impediment to you. And sometimes they're an imposition on you. And those things all subside with loving kindness. But you do need time for your art and so as a musician, I practiced a lot, but I had to practice alone in a practice room. And because if you go out on stage and do your practicing on stage, it's not a very good experience. So in order to play well on stage once for a few hundred people or a thousand people, you have to practice a thousand hours for that one hour. And that thousand hours is by yourself because it's easier. You don't want to practice in front of people. You want to practice by yourself. So loving-kindness is done very well by yourself. It's very beautiful. Sometimes you do your best. It happens to musicians. You play your best in the practice room. And you, can't, you swear you can do this piece much better. You have done it much better alone. <laughs> and then you have to play it in front of your teacher or in front of this thing. I really, I have done it better. <laughs> the Buddha talks about having monks and nuns that live in solitary type of most of their life is solitary, but they dwell in loving kindness. That's their base. That's their. This is a place where you move into. It's not a place that you visit. You move into this. It's described as a mansion, right? So it's a place you live in the rest of your life. You move in there and you get comfortable in there. And it's a space that you dwell in. It's not just an occasional visit. It's something that you 
until you're contentedly dwelling there all the time, it's not good enough. You need to say, what What am I doing? I wandered away from my neighborhood. I mean, I, what am I doing in this neighborhood? It's a bad neighborhood. <laughs> How did I get lost? You know, was it a dream? Did I wander out of the house in a dream? I'm a long ways from home. So this is... The idea is that this isn't just a little exercise you're going to do once in a while and maybe you'll get kissed by Mother Nature once and then it'll be the thing you remember the rest of your life. But no, 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 no. This is some place where you're going and you're going to stay there. And you're going to be there. And you have no plans to leave. So it should come to you quite naturally when you don't harass yourself. When you stop being too shy or reserved or have some sort of message about not deserving this or it's okay for others. It's okay for St. Francis, but not for me. I mean, St. Francis was St. Francis. No, he was a punk, (laughs) an arrogant, (laughs) callous, manipulating punk. (laughs) But he learned. (laughs) He had his moment when it all swept out from under him and he'd find out he's nothing. And vulnerable, fragile. And that's when when you realize it's available to you. So you, you get rid of your this arrogance, this pride, this judgment, this stuff, and then you see how how much burden that is. These are burdens. Whereas loving kindness is no burden at all. It's a restorative, very fresh, very spring like experience. And it as I say, it restores your energy and your your humor and your balance. And it helps you, when you do have to think, it helps you think. It also helps you not think. It also helps you sleep as well. You sleep well. One of the benefits, just sleep well. So the whole system is bathed in this kind of, I can only presume it's a soup of chemicals that go back million years but (laughs) whatever it is that's how it feels you are bathed in it so it's it's a dramatic move and it's hard to you know you build up these habits and callousness and you got your personas and your your way of functioning and everything and it's it's hard to just suddenly be told to stop that and try this in a different direction because even hearing these words you get you know as adults, you kind of, you got you have critical thought, you resist this, you analyze it, and so forth. And everything. This is why it's so hard to get there, mostly because uh, you, because you've grown up, you've had to deal with the world and all this kind of stuff, but it also prevents you from having an experience that's very accessible and just there and simple. And so if you were 13 or 15, it would probably be that much easier to do this. But if you're not, anybody 13 in here? No. Um, although, because you're, you've chosen to go to a retreat, I have hope. I have great hope because you're special. If you were that shut down, you wouldn't be here to begin with. <laughs> You're open to something. You're open to the experiences and so forth. And this is where you say, look, I came all the way up here. I deserve an experience for God's sakes, you know. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) 
don't hold back. So this is the opportunity to be uninhibited. And to have loving kindness is not, you're not going to embarrass yourself in public. You're not really going to grab a stranger and kiss them on the foot. You really don't have to do that. It'll be your little secret. You will have a little smile on your face, but it'll be your little secret, and you'll feel wonderful. And don't worry, you won't be inappropriate. So that's the invitation to move into into the big house. I, you know, you got to live somewhere. And you can live in a leaky shack, or you can end up outside on the sidewalk, or you can live in a very beautiful space, but you've got to live somewhere. You've got to spend your life there. So it's available, free, except that you can't bring your checklist of judgments in there. It just cannot work that way. You'll get kicked out. <laughs> the moment you start going back to your old ways and little reservations and little annoyances and judgments and so forth, out you go. Bailiff knocks on the door. Out you go. <laughs> Don't worry, you can get back in. But that's the price you pay. You have to kind of be unreasonable. Like, it doesn't make sense to most people because you should be angry at so-and-so and why -so and all this stuff. These are the arguments that have to be let go. And you, you will think and behave in a different way. Another story from St. Francis, they, 12th century, you can imagine the uh, social safety network was not so good then. <laughs> Lepers dying on the streets and so forth. And so if you're a little bit marginalized, you end up being a bandit in the woods. And the only way you can live is by you know, picking berries or robbing somebody from time to time. And then if you got caught, you'd be cut open alive or hung on the spot or something like that. So it's a pretty gruesome, scary thing. Anyway, the monks, the first place they lived was in a barn. So the first dwelling for St. Francis and about three or four of his other monks was in this cow barn. And it was still full of manure. There's no cows in there, but it was just manure, you know. So anyway, they managed to, they scraped it all out and made it habitable. And they went on alms round, kind of like we do and people gave them bread and, you know, basics. And they were out one day, and then they came back, and somebody had come in and robbed them of some food and a few little trinkets that they had around. And uh, they were amazed, you know, wow, we got robbed. And then about a week later, it happened again. So then they thought, we got to go and find those guys. So they got a big basket of food, and they went into the mountains and they found the robbers. And the robbers were like, they weren't, weren't expecting this, but suddenly these monks show up and they were discovered. Their hiding place was discovered and they, they reached for their weapons and everything. And the, these monks walked up and said, you must be hungry. We brought you some food. <laughs> we know you're hungry because you came and stole all our food. So we brought you some food because you wouldn't be stealing it if you didn't need it, would you? And they were so shocked by this that two of them ended up becoming monks. <laughs> it just blew their mind. Normally speaking, they would have been caught and had their eyes poked out and their throats slid and hung upside down. <laughs> Instead, they said, I think you're hungry. That's the thing. 
So it's a different way of thinking and you're in a different thing and you can imagine the impact of that. First of all, when they decide, hey, why don't we get a bunch of food? These guys are starving and bring it to them. I mean, just how would you feel about that? I mean, it's like the whole world is upside down, stepping into a whole different relation, human relationship. And then these, when these guys try to get their mind around what's happening to them, the shock is, is enough to transform their consciousness. They're never the same afterwards. It's just such a different way of seeing and such a transcendent way of seeing. And even to this day, when we tell the story, you get a kind of a contact high off the, off the whole experience, right? This is the ingenuity of loving kindness. It turns up the world around. You have different solutions. It comes at problems in a different way. And uh, there's a, an abundance of very exquisite emotion as well to it.